what we've built as a team here, for me the most rewarding part is like um, seeing the guests enjoying the food, the drinks, and just their experience in Lana. Like it's, that's the most rewarding for me. And I finish every day, and I'm just like, wow, I'm, I'm really, it's really stoked that people are having a good time and enjoying the food. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. During the early 2000s, the media got in a fluff about fusion food, about mix and matching different cuisines and the relatively low success rate. But just about every household in Australia does this, trying new dishes, learning new food of their heritage and finding ways to spice up the daily dinner. What impact does this have on those that forge careers as a chef? Alex Wong is the head chef of Lana Dining at Hinchcliffe House in Sydney. Alex, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. It's good to get you on the show. You're uh, head chef of Lana Dining at Hinchcliffe House, which has, you know, got a lot of media and um, um, like amazing venue in the heart of Sydney. What's things like at the moment? Oh, it's it's full on. <laughs> um, things have been picking up like tremendously. Um, I we're full almost every service this week. Tell us a little bit about Lana Dining. What are you, what are you doing there? Uh, so in Lana, the inspiration behind Lana is basically we're we're in a heritage building and. Um, it was, it's called Hinchcliffe House, and originally, and a long, long time ago, it was um, owned by Andrew Hinchcliffe, who used to import wool from Italy. So I would import imported wool to Italy, sorry, and that's what hence the name Lana. Lana in Italian means wool. So the inspiration of Lana is a sort of a Italian-ish pescatarian osteria restaurant with a bit of Asian influence. From I'm using I'm using a lot of flavors from my heritage as well as a lot of my a lot of flavors inspired by Sydney in, in general. Yeah. This is this is something that you're quite familiar with. When you were young, this is something that happened in your family household. Can you tell us a bit about that? Oh, correct. Yeah. So when I, I, I ate a lot of um, growing up, um, my mum would cook um, something westernised on the weekends. So instead of just Chinese food, Chinese Vietnamese food, she westernised like her version of spag bol, spaghetti bolognese. But it wasn't really um, spaghetti bolognese. It was really bad overcooked spaghetti with a sort of like a sautéed beef mince and tomato paste seasoned with magic soy sauce. So it was like every now and then we should fry an egg as well on top. So it was kind of weird, but I, I, I guess as a kid I didn't know any better and I enjoyed it. How is that translating in um, Atlanta dining? You're, you, there's that Italian influence, but you're bringing in some Asian ingredients as well. Give us a sense of how that works. Um, so I, I try to take inspiration from classic Italian dishes and I, I, I amp up the flavor with a bit of a Asian ingredients, such as like um, I used to do. I before in the previous menu, we did a little aqua pasta, dressing inspired by the the crazy water dressing in um, the fishermen used to catch uh, snapper on the boats in in the, on the Amalfi Coast and make a little aqua, like a crazy water sauce out of that. I, I make as I infuse um, tomato water with basil, um, a bit of. Um, so I steam like it was for a muscle dish. So I used to steam mussels and use that liquor, blend it with tomato water and season it with a bit of dashi and basil. Yeah, I want to explore what you're doing on the menu there in in detail soon. But you briefly touched on when you were young. But take us back to when you were young. What sort of role did food play in your family growing up? Oh, we 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 um, food was um, like a main main thing for us like uh every, we would always have celebrations every birthday would be e- eating something like if we weren't eating out of the ch- uh, Ch- local chinese restaurant owned by my uncle or something like that we'd be 
going to pubs and having steak <laughs> and like just food with everything for us. Like I just have many, many fond memories of going to the uh, Chinese restaurant and getting live seafood and all that, even though I didn't actually eat seafood as a kid because I, I just didn't like the smell of fish until I became a chef when I was my, my early uh, teens. I became a chef and I was like, what have I been missing out for my whole life <laughs> eating seafood? Are there any sort of dishes or feasts from the family home that you remember that you can share with us? Oh, yes. You know, like um, early, before I became a teenager, um, when my grand- grandmother was still um, ar- around, um, we used to get, go over there at Christmas time. And like, we're, we're, my family is heavily Christian background, um, not, not so much anymore, but back in those days. Yeah, so we'd have a feast, like a kind of a semi-Australian uh, Chinese Christmas. There'll be like cooked king prawns. My grandma would like steam a uh, whole fish, or there's always a whole steamed whole fish. Um, with the soy and shallots and ginger. And then every now and then we'd go get a lobster and um, we'd, uh, my grandma would try and, and uh, um, stir fry a lobster. It wasn't very good sometimes, but <laughs> it was just like, it was just a good way to bring the whole family together. We only, as we only, we didn't see each other that often. When did you first start getting interested in food and think about it as a potential career? Well, actually, I've always loved food. Like I grew up in, in I grew up in Newcastle. Um, my best friend was Italian in primary school and I used to go to his nonna's house and have um, just a pasta napolitana and there's always a big panna de casa on the table, fresh fresh bread and and she used to grow everything in her backyard, olive oil, um, sorry, you harvest her in olive oil, um, um, preserved tomatoes, have basil growing and it was just, it was, I, I was a, it was mind-blowing for me and I, 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 that's when I sort of started, like I really loved food more but then it wasn't until I actually became a teenager, I dropped out of school, the usual story, and I had no interest in studying at all. And um, I pursued a few other things that didn't work out, and I saw an ad for Apprentice Chef, and I went for it. And I was really addicted to the camaraderie and the adrenaline in the kitchen. And I, it was only about a few years after I was, I was an apprentice, I was like, you know what? I actually enjoy cur- creating like specials and like making dishes that people enjoy, and I, it's, that's – where I sort of uh, decided to myself, I'm going to put my foot down, actually work hard at this and progress. I want to do something good in the future. In those early years, what were the really important sort of mentors and venues that you worked at that helped you sort of come to that decision and, and start forging a career? So I was, I was a younger, I was a bit, um, a bit scared to actually uh, work in those hatted restaurants. And so I worked in a lot of sort of mediocre like pubs and all that stuff, and then uh, it was very boring for me. I, I just needed to, I needed to get out. So eventually, I <laughs> must have the courage, and I, I got my job in a um, in a restaurant uh, called it was at the time it was called uh, the Walker Motel Pub, but inside the restaurant there was a forty seater forty seater fine diner called Ayo. In I in Sardinian Ayo means let's go, like let's go. And the chef at the time uh, was Daniel Daniel Mulligan. He was a ex uh, peeler of freshwater. He opened Pilu. He, he opened uh, Pilu with uh, Giovanni um, in the early days, and uh, he he'd spent uh, almost a decade there. And he had enough, so he left and he took over this pub. And I was I was blown away because uh, that's where we used to make all the pasta from scratch. And so on one side we were doing the bar food as well as doing uh, degustation in the in the out of the same kitchen. So it was like very hands on, very small team. The kitchen was the size of. No bigger than my bedroom. <laughs> it was just tiny, but that was the where I could like maximize my potential and learn as much as I could. And it was uh, I do not reg- that's I, I do not regret doing that, and that's that's changed my my career, that shaped my career. 
What, what did you take from that time of working with Daniel in such a small, intense environment doing such quality food? Um, he taught me um, that you can make – you can – if you, you taught me the creative aspect. There's always something you can use that can be turned into something good, like scraps, for example. Why are we throwing this out when we could be making something out of it? Um, how to how – to, so, uh, what I'm trying to say is sustainability. I learned a lot about sustainability. Yeah. Where did where did that job lead to for you? What did you do next? So after that, I opened a restaurant. It was called Allegra. Um, I opened it with a, a school a school friend a long long time ago. <laughs> Didn't work out very well, but that also that's where that's that's where I started. Actually, that's where I started playing around with Asian flavors with Italian cuisine. That's where I started. So I think as it wasn't really like the strongest part of my career, but it helped me grow as a chef and learn like make i've made a lot of mistakes and i learned from it and then after that um i'll fast forward a little bit here before lana and between that was uh russo and osteria to russo and russo so i've always I would, i've always dreamed of working there because i just loved at the at the time when jason Saxby opened it the food was uh that's that's what that's the food i wanted to cook like it was italian flavors <laughs> in con- contemporary way very Australian, using Australian native ingredients, which I've still kind of new to me at the time, and I was really inspired by that. So um, I eventually got got there in the end as head chef. Um, it was uh, approximately 2019 when I took over, and it was a few chefs after Jason. But um, I that's where I sort of grew the most before I came to Lana. It's a it's an amazing venue, um, Osteria de Russo and Russo, and um, they do extraordinary things there. To tell us about your time in that kitchen and and um, you know the ability that it gave you to explore Italian, but bring in those Asian influences and find your voice. Um, I, I loved it to the fact because it was, it was uh, um, the owners they, they gave me a brief and I followed it. With that, with that brief, it was mainly. It wasn't strictly Italian. It was contemporary Italian. When like, I used to infuse a bit of white soy there, use kosho here and there, and like it wasn't until it wasn't until like the second year, uh, it was after lockdown, we reopened again finally, and uh, I actually I went hard out and I just started like I went outside my comfort zone and I actually I think before I started they weren't actually doing too many um, flavors with uh, too many uh, things with Asian flavors and I started putting a bit more, but in the way it still kept the um, the respect to Italy, and um, it worked. Are there any dishes that stand out from your time there that really exemplify what you were doing? Uh, yes, uh, we had a, a squidding tagliolini pasta that I couldn't take off the menu because <laughs> uh, once we went on the menu, I couldn't take I couldn't take it off. It was very hard to replace. Yeah, so originally it was um, it was a the base was a uh, muscle muscle butter um, that we um, I, I infused with a bit of uh, dashi. Yeah, and then uh, we said with spanner crab and chili. That was pretty much it. Calabra, we use a calabrian chili paste and, um, and the muscle butter dashi as the as the as the base of it. What's some of the the um, common threads um, in regards to Italian food and Asian food that make you know allow you to create these sort of amazing dishes and so be so harmonious? When you look at it, it kind of it doesn't. It seems like it doesn't make sense sometimes. But you, when some 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 Italian dishes, they have like natural umami. The term umami has been um, commonly used these days. But that sort of umami you get from um, <clears throat> porcini mushrooms and Parmigiano Reggiano or or um, 
putaga, for example, the dried mullet roux. Like you find that in some Asian cuisines. Um, I mean, in Italy, they have to have a the Italy's version of fish sauce would be colatura di alici, which I find is a bit more um, it's sharp, it's a bit it's a bit more there's a bit more depth in flavor, but it's less salty compared to uh, the standard Asian fish sauce. What is it about Italian cuisine that really captured your attention? I, I really, I really enjoyed the um, the feasts that you, when you go to an Italian restaurants, you start with your um, antipasti and like and small goods like salumi and stuff, and then you and you go onto the, the that's like the entree, and then the second course is like a the actual no, that's like the snacks, and then the first course is a pasta, and then you go onto from pasta you go to mains, and it's like a whole long lunch. I really like that way of eating. For me, and I just love this spirit of generosity, and I just I really I really love pasta. That's one of my things. Like as a kid, I, I love pasta. No matter what pasta, short, long pasta, I, I loved it. And I feel like you know, Asians, we eat noodles, right? <laughs> and I used to take that inspiration when I make a pasta dish. Like, how can I make this? How can I make this pasta dish like a bit more Asian without without making it too Asian, making it still respecting Italy in a way? So. That's 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 one of the reasons why I love uh, Italian cuisine so much, and I love the re- I love the diverse regions as well. It's like there's so many regions that in Italy that, that I haven't even explored yet in, in, in cuisines. What's the secret to making uh, great pasta? Do you do you have a technique that you use in the restaurant? I I tell my chefs this all the time. It's like the sort you have to have a great sauce. Um, the pasta has to be good as well, but doesn't doesn't regardless of uh, the pasta being good and the sauce being good. It's also how you the care you take in finishing the pasta in Italians they call mantecare so they toss the pasta to release the starch and first but the sauce obviously the the sauce has to be right before you do that and like it's just the the way the care the care involved in uh, monteing the sauce and tossing it that that just adds the um that's that's pretty much adds to the the mouthfeel and the texture of the sauce as well and and the presentation so that that's very important how did the job at Lana come about um, I have to thank Stephen from Flying Fish for that. Um, Stephen Seckle, I think he was on the show a while back as well. Um, he 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 found me at Russo, and then I, he he um, he really liked. I think he really enjoyed the meal there, and he reached out. And at the time, I was like, you know what? I think I'm ready to take the next next step into something um, something new and exciting. Coming out of sort of turbulent times, what what, what was it like putting together, um, you know, being part of this incredible venue and building a team and and taking that next step? Take us through it. Uh, it was super exciting. It was super super exciting. I've never done something on this such a large scale. I've, I mean, I've opened a restaurant in the past, and it wasn't easy. But this opening Atlanta wasn't easy either. But we got there in the end. Um, we we actually opened um, quite rushed and then um and then lockdown happened so about two months after a month and a half after opening um the second lockdown came yeah um it wasn't exactly what we had planned for or hoped for but um it was a it was a it really was a blessing in disguise for us take us through that what what do you mean by blessing uh, in disguise did that um what did it allow you to do um closing such a short time after opening so closing after a short time it allowed us actually fix all the problems any pro any problems that had occurred when we rushed the opening is also like sort of streamline the menu into a more more of a format that sits sits the dining room as well as the clientele base that we were attracting 
Um, and it it was really beneficial to me rebuilding the team as well. Um, I I mean, it wasn't ideal, but it happened and we, I'm grateful for that. Tell us a bit about uh, how you create dishes. Where, where does it begin? Does it start with Italian food or Asian ingredients? And is there one or two examples of dishes that you can take us through that sort of speak of the process? Um, I usually, I try to, <clears throat> when I come up with a dish, I try to look at what's in season and what's good in the next few weeks coming up in, in the veg markets or in, in, in the fish markets. And then I sort of like, um, I use that and I, I, try to find a, I try to find a traditional Italian dish that I can tweak a bit and make it, make it Lana-esque in a way. For example, um, a few months, a few months ago I had a, no, sorry, a few weeks ago we, um, I'm getting some meat from Vix and they said, I've got this lovely kangaroo tail. I know the weather's it's coming to summer, but it's still cold. So why not? I put that on the menu, but uh, I was like, how do I make a, I make a ragu out of that? How do I make it Asian? Um, so I mean, this, I, I think back to my partner is Korean. So I think back to like a, a humble Korean dish they make, and it's a, it's a dish that's made with a uh, pork neck and pork neck bones and, and, um, other bits and pieces and they braise it down. In like a soup and they finish that it's usually quite spicy and they finish it off with um sesame leaf powder and fresh sesame leaf which is also known as green shiso and i so i've, I've used that inspiration to make a, a kangaroo tail ragu but we've seasoned the kangaroo tail ragu with a bit of a um uh, brown rice miso at the end so it's cooked off very traditionally in wine and vegetables and all that and then i finished with brown rice miso and to water we finished with a bit of butter parmesan and, and um we actually have some fresh uh, uh, green shiso leaf that we chiffonade on top and some umeshi ro- ume roasted sesame seeds. So it's kind of kind of the gnocchi is Italian, but also that, that in using inspiration for that Korean dish, it's like a dish of uh, humble braised pork stew with potatoes inside. So if that if that makes sense, it, it doesn't really sound like it makes sense, but for me it's somehow it makes sense. But when you taste it, actually, it's actually quite um, it's quite nice. It's it's quite nice and, and herbaceous from the shiso. If you have a think about sort of what you were like and how you ran your team at Allegro all those years ago, compared to you know these days at Lana, do you operate differently and run your kitchen differently to to back then? Um, I like to say, I think I've always actually run the team kind of the same I've, I've always I love, i've been a bit stricter these days in lana that's for sure because i have such a bigger team it's it's double the size of what it used to be at russo and allegra and all that so i'd like to say i've, I've changed a little bit since then I've, I've always i've always tried to have a fun um have a bit of fun in the kitchen and try to build a really strong team by like we will get along we all, we're like a little family because we see each other day in day out for like at least 50 hours a week we see each other probably more than our own partners and yeah always always want to make a fun environment but still like make everyone has to understand that you know we've got a job to do what's it like being part of such a big offering and so, so, so many different offerings within a large venue um does the team all sort of get together um with a common goal like how does it work yeah, so in Hinchcliffe House, it's quite large. There's, there's three venues in there, and the restaurant downstairs is called Grana. We we work with the chefs alongside the chefs. Sometimes we share we share the building with them, and we we share a dry store with them, share a cool room with them, pretty much. So we, we all get along. We all hang out on the weekends every now and then, and there's always sometimes we even like we we swap the chefs around to help each other out. So we have a really good. I think we have a really good uh, family community here, and yeah. 
Well, you're doing amazing uh, things there, and I know you're just getting started, but um, what do you love about what you do? I love what I can do. I love what I do because I, I, I don't think there's actually too many restaurants like Lana currently, <laughs> and, I, and, and, and what, I've, what we've built as a team here, I, I like to – for me, the most rewarding part is like um, seeing the guests – enjoying the food and the drinks and just their experience in Lana. Like it's, that's the most rewarding for me. And I finish every day and I'm just like, wow, I'm I'm really, it's really stoked that people are having a good time and enjoying the food. Well, Alex, it's an absolute pleasure to catch up with you today on Deep in the Weeds. Uh, Good luck with Lana in the, in the coming um, year or two, as you uh, really stretch your arms out and do some amazing things. Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. No worries. Thanks for, thanks for having me. It's been, been a pleasure. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>